Hey, we're starting a, a new series today called Teach Me How to Live. Everyone say, Teach Me How to Live. How many people want to be taught how to live? Have you ever gone through uh, life where you're like, man, I wish somebody taught me this earlier? Yes? Yeah? My, my parents were amazing. I mean, they were pastors and they were amazing, but they never really set me, I mean, they're incredible with their finance, but they never kind of sat me down and said, hey, son, this is how money works. This is what you should do. Da, 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 da. They, they never kind of really had that conversation with me. And then when I was 25 and, you know, you know, when you're younger and you've got no responsibilities and, uh, you know, Trinity and I would go away for weekends and eat out four or five times a night, you know, because you just remember those days prior to kids, prior to any real responsibilities and, and uh, you know, you go and buy something because you feel like it and, uh, you know, all those sorts of things and next minute you've got HPs and credit cards and, but life is good. Um, and then you realise, oh, I've got to pay for this somehow. And it's one of those things where it's like, and I remember going and saying to Dad, hey, Dad, I think I've made some mistakes, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, yeah, this is what you need to do. And I felt like saying to him, why don't you tell me that when I was like 18 or 19 years of age? And um, I don't know about you, but there's a whole lot of things that, mistakes or stuff that I've done in life, which I wish somebody taught me so that I didn't have to do them. And the book of James is, they call it the book of Proverbs of the New Testament. It is the most practical book that you'll ever read in the New Testament. He covers everything from trials and temptations to the Word of God, to taming your tongue, to prayer of faith, to how we should treat people. And there's just so much practical stuff in the book of James. And James, just to give you a little bit of a background, James was Jesus' brother. He doesn't say that in the book. I would, I'd name drop but James doesn't. And James was also the first pastor of the first church that ever existed, the Church of Jerusalem. And at the time that he's writing this book, he's writing it to the Church of Jerusalem, who has now been scattered because of the persecution from Nero. And so they've got all this sorts of stuff going on. And, and what James decides in his wisdom, led by the Holy Spirit, to write this most practical book for people. And uh, we're going to get straight into it because we're covering uh, today, we're going to cover um, both trials and temptations. How many people are excited about that? All right. But let me, let me just say this before we even get into any bit of scripture. The key theme of James is this. If we don't quit, we win. The key theme of the book of James is if we don't quit, we win. Come on, everybody say it with me. If we don't, we, come on, let's say it with a little bit more meaning behind it. If we don't, we, all right. And that's the whole theme, and you're going to hear me say that again and again and again today, but let's crack straight onto it, because James, James doesn't kind of open up with, hey guys, hope you're doing well. Have you got, have you got? there's people in your workplace, right, that send you emails, some of them start off with something like, hi Rimmer, hope you're having a good day. Um, I was just wondering if you could. And then you get those other staff members that are just like, Rimmer, can you do this? You know, James is kind of like this here. It's not like, hey, hope you're doing well. Hope your family's good. He, he, he's not really having a conversation. He doesn't seem very caring because he just gets straight into this. 
In James 1, 2 to 3, he says, consider, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He just gets straight on into it, eh? It's like he knows that they're going through trials. He knows that they're facing persecution. He knows that they're going through a difficult time. And he opens up with, consider it pure joy when that happens. I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have read the rest of the letter. I probably would have put on it, return to sender, you're a buffhead. Um, and I, because that's just not helping me right now. I don't want to be joyful. I'm going for a trial. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Because trials are different to temptations and that trials are things that happen to us. Trials are things that aren't even our fault necessarily. They just happen to us. You're going along in life quite happily, cruising along, having a great time, and then all of a sudden, poof, a trial comes your way. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's not anything that you've necessarily done, but all of a sudden, life, you just find yourself in the middle of a trial. We didn't cause it, but now we're in it, and we've got to walk our way through it. And so how do we do that? You know, in trials like COVID, for example, last year, parents having to homeschool their children, that wasn't planned at the start of 2020, was it? How many parents felt like you waited your way through that? <laughs> like a trial, like, in the end, I think with Seth, we just gave up. <laughs> it was just too hard. You know, God doesn't cause trials, but God wants to use trials. God doesn't cause trials, God wants to use trials, because the first thing that you need to write down today is that God uses trials to mature us. God uses trials to mature us. And what we need to be able to get when we're going through a difficult time is we need to get God's perspective first about the trial we're going through. And so again, it says in the scripture, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces perseverance. If I make mistakes today, I'm just really tired, all right? He's asking us here to consider something joyful that's not joyful at all. Yeah? It's like, oh, you got surgery. Oh, that's joyful. No, it's not. He's asking us to consider something joyful that's not joyful at all. But what James isn't saying here, he's not saying here that your trial will be fun. That's not what James is saying here. It's not like he's saying, oh man, you're going to go through this real difficult time. It's going to be so awesome. Remember that time we went to, a, to the Gold Coast for a holiday and we rode all the theme park rides and we went out for dinner and walks along the beach? It's like that, but in a trial. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that you didn't have a choice about the trial that you're currently in, but you do have a choice about your attitude in the trial. And in in the Greek, the word consider there could be easily used as suppose. So it's almost like this. It's like, I'm in this trial. I suppose I could be miserable about it, or I suppose I could let God give me joy in it. You see, the way to have joy in the middle of a trial is to try and get God's perspective of what the trial is and what is it that God's trying to do because God uses trials to mature us. The second thing is, is that we have to trust God in the process. James goes on and says this in verse 4. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you are mature and complete, 
not lacking anything. In other words, trust God in the process. Trust Him. You know, parenting's a little bit like this. We give our kids a little bit, little, uh, little bit of information, and then we tell them, just trust us. Don't touch the fireplace. Why? Just trust us. It will burn you. Just trust us. Unfortunately, one of my children, in the end, I let them touch the fire because I was stupid and they wouldn't listen. Never touched it again. Some of you are like, you're a bad parent. No, it's, it's not consequences. And <laughs> Man, you're so looking at me today. Oh, I'm awful. It's like parenting. You give, you give your kids limited information. How many parents here have said, just trust me, I know what I'm talking about? Come on, especially as they get older, yeah? You don't want to do that. It's not going to work out well for how, Why? Just trust me. And this is kind of what God does in trials. We have this limited amount of information about what we're going through and what we're facing. And God's saying, just trust me. Perseverance. Persevere. Let it, let, let it finish. Work. Let the trial finish. Because at the end of the trial, you'll be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. And, and we're kind of like, what, not, what, what? And he's basically saying, just trust me. It's an easy thing for us to say to our kids, but it's a hard thing for us to personally apply to our lives, isn't it? We want to know the details. If you're anything like me, you're a bit of a control freak, and so you want to know what's going to happen next. If you're not a control freak about your life, then you're probably really spontaneous and cool to be around. But we have to let God be God. Are you hearing me today? You might have limited information about what you're going through, but here's a bit of information that you do know and that you can hold on to, and that is that God is good, and the Bible promises time and time again that God always has our best in mind. So even though I don't understand this trial and I have a limited amount of information in this trial, information I do have is that God is good and God always does what's best for me. And even though this doesn't make sense right now, I'm going to persevere for it because I know at the end of it, it's going to be good for me. God's got his best for me. God's got the best plan for me. It works out in the end. If we don't quit, we when the third thing that happens is that trials we can use trials to draw closer to God God uses trials to mature us God uses trials so that we can trust him but we can use trials to get closer to him never do you realize you need God more than when you're going for a tough time yeah come on come on I don't know about you but my prayer life goes through the roof when I'm in a desperate situation yes we're all like that. We'll all cry out to him when we need him. We get closer to him like you wouldn't believe when we go through something difficult. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Come on. Is it just me? Or does that sound familiar? God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Nothing gets your, nothing gets God's, you know, nothing gets your attention like a trial that gets you wanting God's attention. 
He whispers in our pleasures, he speaks to our conscience and he shouts in our pain. So don't miss the chance that as you go through a trial, don't miss the chance at getting closer to Jesus as you go through it. The next thing that we need to do when we're in the middle of a trial is we need to ask for help. Ask for help. You see, I think that God wants to give you and me more than we ever ask for. It's something that's been stirring on the inside of me for quite a while now. It's like, how big an ask do you have? If he cares about how many hairs I have on my head and they're getting less by the day, if he cares about everything to that degree, why don't we ask him for everything? You know, um, Trinity's in Switch this morning, so I can say this about her and I'm not going to get in trouble, but every time we go somewhere like a shopping mall, she goes, God, I thank you for a car park right outside the front of the shop we want to go to. And I'm like, don't bother God with car parks. He's got more important things to do. And, and, I, and I'll say to her, honey, and she goes, no, you've got to have a success expectation. God loves me. And every blimmin' time, it's a car park right outside the, the supermarket or right outside where we want to go. And, and then, and then I, I see that and I think, I should do that. And then she'll ring me and she'll go, on the way home, can you pop in and get some milk? And, and so I'm going to the supermarket, it's raining. And rather than praying, give me a car park right outside so I don't get wet, I just try, find whatever car park I can find. Anybody? Yeah, with me? And then I get soaked all the way in and then all the way back, and then I might get home, and she might, oh, you got really wet in the rain. You should have prayed for a car park. And it's just like, you know what? I think God wants to give you way more than what you ask for. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lack wisdom, does anybody lack wisdom here? You should ask God who gives what? Generously to all without, I love this, without finding fault. And it will be given to you. In other words, that if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you regardless of where you're at, regardless of whether you think you're living right or living wrong or whether you've done this or done that. He's not finding fault when he gives you the answers that you need for the situations that you're facing. He doesn't judge his ability to pour out into your life generously based on your behavior, but he pours out his life generously and his wisdom generously based on his behavior, not your behavior. He doesn't find fault with me. And some of us, what we do is we don't ask God for help because I got this wrong and I did that wrong. I got this sin in my life. And, I, and God's up there, just, just ask. Just ask. And I will give you generously. Wisdom doesn't change our trial, but wisdom allows us to see the bigger picture of what it is that God is trying to do. It allows us to connect with the bigger picture of what God is trying to do. But we tend not to ask because we think that we can only ask God for stuff when we've got ourselves right and we're in alignment and we're righteous and we're holy. But he says, ask generously for wisdom and I'll give it to you. I'm not going to find fault, but I will give it to you. God gives generously. It's not a burden to him. It's not hard for him. It's not difficult for him. He doesn't sit up in heaven going, you know, when you put in your request going, ah. It's not like when one of my kids goes, hey dad, I feel like some Coke Zero or no sugar. Do you want to go down to the supermarket and get some? No. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. Hey, Dad, nobody feels like cooking dinner tonight. 
You want to shoot up the road to McDonald's? No. No, I don't. I don't want to do that. Hey, Dad, I know you're busy at work, but I was wondering if you could pick up some lunch and drop it home to me. No, I don't want to do that. Am I, am I getting any, any parents' understanding? Or like sometimes I have a, a, a beautiful eldest child who sometimes says, hey, I've put my washing in the washing machine. It's about to finish shortly, but I'm going, could you sort it out for me? No, no, I don't want to do that. It doesn't sound like fun. Nobody likes doing housework. Apart from maybe Cherie Stone. (laughs) But it's not a burden to him. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It's what he does. He's just waiting for you to say, help! I, I just get this picture of God just like, just... Looking down, going, ask, ask, ask. Oh, he's going to ask today. Gabriel, Gabriel's going to ask today. Come over here, come over here. Oh, no, he didn't ask. And I, I think we just got to ask. He gives generously. He gives generously. And then the situation you're going through, the thing is, is this, is that you don't have to go through alone. You don't have to go through it alone. Ask God and he'll give you generously to you. And you get to watch him do the miracle and watch it unfold in front of your face. And then once you've asked, then you've got to stand firm in the faith. You've got to stand firm in faith. It says this in verse 6 to 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded. Everyone say double-minded. And unstable in all they do. And if I'm honest with you this morning, there are some trials that I've come across in my life and still come across in my life where if I'm honest with you, I'm still double-minded in some areas. I trust God, but I also want control. I remember God saying to me when I was about 19 years of age, um, he said to me this, he said, Craig, you're you're a Christian atheist. What's a Christian atheist? It's someone who believes in God but lives like he doesn't exist. So I believe in your promise, but I'm going to try and work it out over here in my own capacity. See, I, I believe you heal, but I'm not going to respond to any altar call for healing. I'm not going to ask people to pray for healing. I know you heal, but I'm just going to work it out all over here. I, I know the principles of what I need to do around my finances, but I don't really like the idea of trusting you with 10% and then you blessing me. So I'm just going to work it out over here in my own thing. I've got one foot in God and I've got one foot in my own world. I'm a, someone who believes in God but lives like he doesn't exist. And the only way that I can explain this double-mindedness to you, it's like when the kids were little and you take them to the pools, yeah? And you, and, you, and you put them up on the side of the pool and then you take a few steps back, don't you? And, you, and you're encouraging them to jump in, aren't you? What parent's done that? Every parent's done that. Come on, jump, jump. And they want to jump, don't they? They want to jump and so they stand on the edge of the pool and, and, and they can see you when they trust you, but they also see the water. And so you get this kind of like. 
And then you have to start doing things like, if you jump, I'll buy you an ice cream afterwards. <laughs> and even then, it's like, I really want the ice cream, and I trust you, but there's, there's water, and, and, then, and then they finally leap, and, and you're basically standing right there. So they're not really jumping at all, they're just kind of going... And then you do this big thing, oh, that was so, oh, you're amazing. And then they're like, man, that was easy. And they climb back up again. And now you have a problem as a parent because you're now just becoming a catching machine for the rest of the time you're at the pools, yes? That is what double-mindedness, it says, a whole thing where I, I can see God in the midst of this, but I can, I can also see everything else. I, I know that there's a, a reward because he says that if I, persevere and I get through, then I'll be lacking in nothing and everything will come my way that I need. But there's, there's God, but there's, there's water and there's, there's, it's that hesitation. It's the hesitation. And we've all been there where we trust God and we know what he says, but we see the water and we, we hesitate. Can I encourage you today to jump Faith focused on Jesus. Ignore the rest that is around you because you will get closer to him because God is faithful. He is good. He always catches. He always is there. God is good and he has his best plan for you because if we don't quit, we win. 1 Peter 1.7 says this, These trials will show that your faith is genuine, that has been tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. This, my friend, is going to be your story if you don't quit, you win. And James says all of that about trials, and then he goes into temptations, because every time that there's a trial, why trial and temptations? Because every time there's a trial, we usually hit a temptation. You understand what I'm saying? Every time there's a trial, there's always a temptation that comes with it. It's the flip side to the coin. It's the other side of the equation. Whenever you're in a trial, you're trying to trust God, but there'll be a temptation not to. Are you with me today? You see, God uses trials to mature us, but Satan uses temptation to destroy us. God uses trials to mature us, but the enemy uses temptations to destroy us. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. You see, trials are things that happen to us. Temptations are things that happen in us. And that's why these two appeared, because trials are external and temptations are internal. You see, we always have a choice of what we do when we're tempted and the reason why sometimes we make the wrong choices is because we need to understand the process of temptation. Hear this when I say this. Temptation is not sin. It's a temptation. If you act on it, it leads to it. But it's a temptation, right? So we need to understand the process of temptation to make sure that we don't go on the journey of temptation, which leads to sin and ultimately death. 
And so James says in verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their what? Their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So this is the trap, this is the process, this is the pathway that the enemy takes us on. There's four steps in this piece of scripture which shows us how the enemy operates to get you to give in to your temptation and end up in sin. The first thing that he does is deception. Deception is his key tool every sing- at the start of every single deception because that's what he used in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1. Did God really say? Did God really say? He starts to question what God has said to you. And so the deception then takes us off what God is saying and starts getting us looking around at what everybody else is saying or what Google is saying or Twitter, Facebook, some buffhead that calls themselves a journalist now but they're just opinion piece writers. It gets us to take our eyes off the truth and start looking around at other options. And then you start doing things like, oh, is God's way the best way? Maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's other options. Maybe there's another way. And so deception begins. And here's the thing. Deception is the soil that sin can be birthed from. Deception is the soil that sin can be birthed from. We just need to stay locked into God's word so that we don't get deceived by what people say, but we know, hey, no, this is the truth. This is what the Word of God says. Eve's response should have been, no, no, God said don't eat. That's what God said. I don't have to question it. He said it. I know it. I believe it. He said it. The first thing is deception, and the next thing is desire. And when it's at desire level, it's not a sin yet, because we all have desires within us. Yes? I desire this afternoon to sit on the couch, watch a movie and eat potato chips. That's a desire of mine. Is it good for me? Probably not, but I don't care right now because I'm tired after conference and to me, um, black pepper and salt popper chips is just like, that's like heaven for me this afternoon. So I'll be doing that. I'm going to cave into my desires. We all have desires and the thing is, is, this, is that desires are just bait that he puts on the hook. Desires are bait that he puts on hook. And here's the thing. Some of our desires are good desires, but if we give in to them at the wrong time, they hurt us. To desire to be married and to have a fulfilling love life is not a bad thing in marriage. It's just not a good thing not in marriage. It's not a wrong desire. I mean, I remember somebody... A young fella saying to me once, he goes, hey, um, it was about a month out from his wedding. And he goes, oh, man, can you pray for me? And I said, what's that? He goes, I'm really struggling to keep myself from doing something I shouldn't do, um, keep my purity. So I was wondering if you could pray, um, you know, the, like this desire for her out of me. And I said, what do you want me to do on your wedding day? Pray it back into you? Like... <laughs> See, this is why you've got to be careful when you're dating. This is a free bit of advice. It's not even in my notes. Free bit of advice. It's natural 
It's natural in marriage for hand-holding to lead to hugging, to lead to kissing, to lead into something else, which leads to something else, which leads to the, the big show. That's natural. It's a natural progression. It's the way that God designed it in marriage. Now, this is a mistake that everybody makes. How far is too far? So if this is the cliff of giving into sexual desire, people want to live right here. I'm not doing it. But all it takes is one weak moment. And how many people know we're at the bottom of the cliff now? Well, so my view is this. What can I do that when I do have a weak day, rather than falling off the cliff, I just get close to it? Anyway, it's a bit of advice. Help you out. Desires will stir and stir within us, and it will keep on stirring them within us. And if we don't kill it off at desire level, then it leads to the next level, which is disobedient. And this is where we actually sin. This is where we do the act, and we actually sin. Where, where we cross the line, where we fall off the cliff. And immediately what begins to grow inside of us, the Bible says, is death, shame, guilt, condemnation. If you have crossed the line and you feel hopelessness in that death, I want you to know something. You don't have to live in that death. You don't need to live in that shame and that guilt and that condemnation. We're going to pray for you a little bit later and God's going to set you free from it because if you feel like that you're dead in your sin, I got good news for you. God is a God who resurrects the dead. God is a God who resurrects the dead. He doesn't leave you in your dead state. He resurrects you. See, the enemy is going to try and drown you and kill you with shame and guilt and condemnation, but Jesus raises the dead. Come on. Somebody needs to get excited about that this morning because you think God's angry with you, upset with you, that there's no hope for you. Then I'm here to tell you today that God raises the dead. You're in the right place at the right time to experience his resurrection power. You can come out of that, and he wants to bring you out of that. But here's the thing. Sin is serious. And no matter how big or how small we see it, it's designed according to James, is to take us eventually to death. It's serious. That's just a little thing. No, it's death. It's something we want to deal with. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Here's the thing. You don't have to stay in it. You don't have to stay in it. So how do I get out of it? Well, Funny you ask that because James tells us how to get out of it too. The first thing is, is that you need to be real about your weaknesses. None of us, including myself and everybody else on the face of the planet, are strong enough to get through things on our own. James says this, he says in verse 16, don't be deceived. You're not as awesome as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think. Don't deceive yourself. You need people around us, all of us. It can happen to all of us. All of us can be deceived by this. We've just got to get honest and get some people around you that you can journey with. And this is why small groups, connect groups 
are so, so important because you need people around you that can help you, that you can be honest about, and that aren't going to judge you, but they're going to lift you and help you. Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. How many people know that the antelope that always gets eaten by the lion is the one that's on its own? He can't take you out when you're part of a team. He can't take you out when you're part of a group. He can't take you out when you've got people around you. It's when you isolate yourself that you get in trouble because when you get into a group and you start trusting those people, your walls come down, but protection goes up around you from them. And the enemy tempts us. It becomes a, it, when the enemy tempts us as well, you need to understand this, don't fear it, don't get upset with it because what he's doing and tempting you is he's revealing to you his battle plan against you. He's telling you where you're weak. He's telling you where you're vulnerable. He's just revealed his plan of attack. And what he's actually doing, he's actually helping you because he's showing you an area of your life where you need God to move. And so then we can use temptation as a target of growth. We can fight back against the temptation. We don't just have to sit there and endure it and weather the storm. We can go on the offensive because he helps us to see an area in our lives that we need to grow in, that we need to get God involved in, and that area. In fact, he's helping us to learn that we can overcome that, that we can succeed in that. Because why? If we don't quit, we win. James says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. I'm going to just get the band and the singers to come. That would be awesome. Who does not change like shifting shadows. You see, right up until this point in the book of James, you could quite easily look at what I've just told you, and it's like a self-help guide. Where's the spiritual part of it? This kicks in in verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's what he's saying. Darkness cannot exist where light shines. Darkness cannot exist where light shines. And when we invite the heavenly Father of lights into the shadows of our life, the darkness cannot coexist with the light. We just have to invite our heavenly Father into it. Here's the thing, you don't have weaknesses. You just have an area that you need more of God in. I don't have a weakness, I just got an area that needs God in it. And the cool thing about that is that His strength is made perfect in my weakness. If I get God involved in what I perceive as a weakness, it now becomes a strength. Are you with me? It becomes a strength. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out 
so that you can stand up under it. God will always give you an exit plan when you start coming under the pressure. What does an exit plan look like in the kingdom? I think it's really, let me just go four quick things as we finish this morning. The first thing is this, avoid the situation. If there's a, a woman or a man at work that you find yourself flirting with, avoid them. Just avoid the situation. Don't even go there. Don't even do that. I used to, as a teenager, I had a problem around pornography. So I have on my laptop and on my phone and all that sort of stuff, accountability programs that if I ever look at anything, now I've, I've not struggled with it since I was 20 years of age. And I'm now 48. But rather than go, I think I'm all right, I put accountability programs on all my devices. So if I ever look at anything, it emails Trinity and it lets her know. Have I ever looked at something in the last 28 years that I shouldn't have looked at? No. But I'm not on the edge of the cliff. I'm going to set myself up as far away from the edge of the cliff as possible. Why do I want to live on the edge? I want to live in freedom. I want to live, so I avoid the situation. Avoid it, just get away from it. Maybe you've got to change jobs if there's a situation going on. Just avoid it. If you've got a temptation around gambling, then let your partner run the finances. Don't have a if-post card, don't have a credit card, just have 20 bucks pocket money a week so that you can't, even if you wanted to. Avoid it. Avoid it. Second thing is counter it with the Word. Find in Scripture what the Scripture says about it and start speaking that over your world. Avoid the situation and then start speaking the Word of God over that situation. You just keep on speaking it. You counteract with the Word. Then develop, develop healthy relationships. Develop healthy relationships with people that you can trust, that you can ring and go, man, I'm really struggling today, or I just caved into a temptation. Could you pray for me? Could you, could you walk with me? Don't ever judge somebody that's struggling with something. If you do, I'm going to punch you or something. Avoid, counter, develop, and then commit to prayer. Just pray, God, come and help me. Ask for help. That's what prayer is. Just asking God. Just pray, 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 pray. And this becomes an acumen, which I'm pretty proud of. Avoid, consider, develop, commit. If you can't remember that, just remember this. ACDC. Next slide, quick. Quick. Where's the slide? I did a slide. There's no, how can there be no slide? There's what? So depressed. I had Daisy DC going to come up there, and then I had this amazing dad joke where I was going to say, If you don't want to live on the highway to hell, <laughs> avoid, counter, develop, and commit. Avoid, counter, develop, and commit. Because then you'll live in victory. Why? Because if we don't quit, we. If we don't quit, we? James 1.18 says this, And so he, cho he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. You see, when we are struggling with trials and temptations, the reality is 
we're often living on the wrong side of the cross. We're often living on the wrong side of the cross. And even if we're followers of God, we have a mindset that we're all out there on our own and we're on the wrong side of the cross. We start saying things like, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm worn out. This trial has got me down, it's beat me. I'm not sure I can get through this. But we have to remember, as James said here, that we've been given birth through the word of truth. In other words, through Jesus. That we have to remember that as children of God, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, that is not our reality because we have been reborn into a new reality of truth, birthed into the word of truth. We have been reborn as sons and daughters of the Most High God, the living God. We are created a new creation and the enemy can only fight against our old creation because he has no authority over our new creation. His power has been broken at the cross and death no longer has victory over us. And the last time I checked, sin and death have been defeated on the cross. And when you ask for it, you can receive it by his grace and his mercy. And we get his power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He he who is with you is more powerful than he who is in the world. In Christ, you are more than a conqueror. We are the head and not the tail. We are the above and not the belief. Beneath, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? For if God is for us, then who can be against you? You have the authority, the Bible says, to trample on snakes and scorpions and not be hurt. Nothing can overcome the power of God and you can overcome the power of enemy because nothing in Jesus' name will harm you or harm this church or harm your family. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will get near you because if we don't quit, we win because he is for us and not against us. If we can just recognise that trials mature us, Temptations are the enemy trying to destroy us and we can identify the path that he tries to take us on. Friend, you will win and win and win and win because you have been birthed in the word of truth, not in deception. And that's what God can do for you. Trials mature us. Temptations don't need to destroy us. Because we follow the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Father of heavenly lights who wants to shine down into our dark spaces. Why don't we stand to our feet this morning?